0: All right, well, good morning, Freedom. If I have not had the chance to shake hands with you on a Wednesday, Sunday, or if I glazed right by you this morning, I was just in sermon mode. Uh, But my name is Eric Kroger. I serve as pastor of discipleship here at Freedom. If you were here when Jeremy Levine spoke, he pointed out the way God has uniquely intertwined the ministries of Freedom and how our families interacted with Frank and much of his family. Frank was our youth pastor And uh, Frank has fully embraced being old, um, pointing out his hair and the different things that he is scared of coming into each next decade of his life. Um, But Frank being my youth pastor, it was an amazing and humbling thing to then wind up being the um, Bible and math teacher for his son Nathaniel as he was coming through middle and high school. And now Nathaniel is youth pastor to my daughter jeremy's daughter and to be able to see the way that the work of the church continues and how we wind up having the opportunity to be able to bless one another in that sense and speaking of the intertwining of families jeremy just did announcement announcements for us today and jeremy you you recently celebrated a birthday if i'm not mistaken is that right and, and today, I think we get to wish a happy birthday to your older brother, Jason. Much older. Much older. So, Jason is not just celebrating a birthday today, but since you just turned 49 and he's older, I believe by one year. Am I correct that we're wishing a happy 50th 50? birthday? 50? 50th birthday. Any of you who remember Jason Levine, we wanted to wish him a happy 50th birthday. Hopefully he's still alive to be able to hear um, this happy birthday wish because he is my very, very good friend. Thank you very much for confirming that for me. And any of you who've been at Freedom for any amount of time, you'll know Jason um, has been at Freedom uh, for, had been at Freedom for many, many years. He was our very first children's pastor. He started Camp Freedom. And uh, God blessed and did an amazing work through him and his time at our church. And Jason actually continues to bless and minister to us today. He'll call Jeremy and myself and make sure that our phones are off when we do announcements or we preach. And that's his little test to see, did you remember to turn off your phone? And so that is our way of making sure to remind the people, hey, turn off your phone. And that way people go, oh, yeah, did I turn that thing off? And hopefully it limits how much things go off during service. But anyway, um, thinking of you today, buddy, happy 50th birthday to you. And uh, we just want to be able to recognize that. And now that I have properly respected the elderly, I I mean (laughs) my elder, I mean my friend, uh, let's get down to business and let's attend to the word over the past three weeks we've had some of our fellow deacons and elders preach and we do this every year to give frank a sabbatical from the pulpit and as much as he enjoys being able to have time with family and to take a step back you know it's funny he is so eager in august to jump back into the pulpit and to preach the word of god that is just the heart and the gift that god has given him so i hope you've been able to be blessed by the preaching of God's word through other leaders, de- deacons and elders here at Freedom. And we simply try to make sure each week gets covered. I want you to know we don't have opportunity so much to get together and to be able to say, hey, let's create this theme throughout the month of July. Essentially, we go, okay, everybody's speaking on a particular week, and everybody, we're not going to double the same passage, right? We're not going to speak from the exact same thing and give you guys a repeat in any capacity. And that's about it. And so far, if you've been with us, Eric Hoberling spoke from John 11, focusing on those two simple words, Jesus wept and looked at the death and ministry that Jesus did to um, Lazarus's family and asking, you know, do you believe this? And Jeremy came, spoke from John 13 and talked about how Jesus washed feet. And he encouraged us in that message that we ought serve regardless of. Of whatever else is getting in our mind, in our headspace, and interrupting us from being able to bless and to serve others for the sake of the gospel. Michael Fear brought to us a message from Hebrews 12 last week, reminding us that the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, and all those who surround us from the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, and he exhorted us don't quit, persevere, run your race. And so when we take a look at all of these messages, I'm going to tell you, I really don't believe there's any coincidence in what God does, even though we don't get together and meet and coordinate exactly what it is we're going to speak to. When I look at these things, I see God putting a common thread through everything being spoken. And what I saw this July is God speaking about how he works through tragedy and advances the gospel in adversity. This is the way that God works, and it's so critical for us to see that within our own lives. And I want, I want to tell you, uh, that's going to continue to be a theme as we go through God's Word this morning. If you did get to see through the announcements, um, I titled the message for today, To God Be the Glory. And the reason for that, and what I'm, I'm just really excited about um, what God had just put on my heart. My message started off somewhere entirely different Um, Monday of this past week, as I began to just think and go through scripture and try to figure out what it is that God would have me to preach. And by the time I got to yesterday, I was just telling Jeremy, 70% of what I started with was gone. And that is just the nature sometimes of sermon prep. You just continue to be open to see what is it, God, that you would have me Preach. And so what I want to bring to you guys this morning is three simple truths about God's glory. And I'm going to tell you again, one of the things that is so neat, not believing in coincidence, is our final worship song today. As you get to sing holy, 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 right? When we sing holy, 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 we're going to see that from Isaiah 6 today. That is what R.C. Sproul calls the song of the seraphim. Because that's where we first see it. It is an incredible, incredible opportunity for us to be able to give adoration and worship and praise and sing glory to God. And what we're going to do is come through a passage in Romans 1 that I do believe many of you are familiar with. And I want to talk about three simple truths. Number one, I want to talk about what happens in the defrauding of man of God's glory. We're going to talk about the declaring of to man God's glory, and then what is it we can do to disseminate God's glory. So if you want to keep just those three simple things in the backdrop of your mind, we're going to start in Romans 1 and verse 16. And this... Opening in Romans, just so you know what's going on in those first 15 verses, Paul is essentially expressing his love for the church in Rome. He is telling them how much he has longed to be with them and tried to make effort to travel to them. And understand, right, travel in Paul's day is a lot different than in ours. So it it definitely required a bit of effort and planning. But as we come into 16, Paul's talking about how he's eagerly wanting to come to them and preach the gospel and to have time to fellowship and minister to them. And we pick up in verse 16, a verse that I pray either you've memorized or will commit to memory, right? If you haven't done so already, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul began to realize early in his ministry that as much as he wanted, if you read Romans 9, you will see Paul's heart for the Jewish people, but he had to see, if you travel through the book of Acts and you pay attention to what happens after Paul gets converted and he begins his ministry, he tries over and over again to minister to the Jews and like they just want to kill him. And he keeps getting pushed out and Paul recognizes and sees, all right, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And so out he goes. So Gentile Greek. It's so powerful to read those words he puts in verse 16. And hopefully we are not ashamed. We have a boldness about how we declare the gospel in our own lives. And I'm not talking about just being obnoxious or having a false confidence. Hopefully you know the gospel because you know scripture. I pray that you are in God's word, that you commit it to memory, that you commune with God through devotions, through prayer, and you do all the things necessary so that you are moving forward and you are strong in your relationship with Christ in your Christian walk. I'm going to tell you, if you're in a rut or you've only ever really kind of shown up on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, and that's the extent that you are ill-equipped to be able to have a boldness for the gospel, especially in the current society that we live. You'd better be able to have a little bit of backbone if you're going to be able to have that boldness. And so that bold excitement, when we can speak about our Savior and tell people what he has done for us, this is something we should look forward to doing every time we have the opportunity to do so. Paul continues in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul begins to give an explanation here and a reminder that the gospel is, first of all, about the righteousness of God that's imparted or made available to us through faith. And we see this peppered throughout all of Paul's letters. This comes up in Ephesians 2. This comes up throughout Galatians. And Paul, over and over again, wants people to understand our salvation is by faith. Right? It's not by works. and You trying to earn your way into heaven, that'll never happen. And it sets the stage for us to understand what happens in our world and how man essentially tries to defraud his fellow man and even himself of God's glory. And I want you to understand, right, first and foremost, all the glory already belongs to God. There's no getting around that. There's no way that we can say that anything is really taking away from God's glory. We do use a phrase, and we see in Scripture, right, when man tries to rob God of his glory. But what's happening there is man is attributing the glory of God to anything else, right, to the created things. We're going to see that a little bit later. But it's not taking away from God. It's taking away from man. It is depriving man of the opportunity to recognize who God is and the glory to which he is due. And so this is why I express it this way. And Despite man's best efforts, God's glory is never, ever going to diminish. And so what we see is how this happens as we get to verses 18 through 23, right? So we have a bigger passage here. I know Jeremy told you to make sure you have a comfortable seat. I promise I can't tell you how much stuff I threw out from my sermon yesterday, but it, it nonetheless wound up being nine pages. Now, part of that's because Jason, I had to give my happy birthday with the wish to Jason, so don't be too scared of that. Uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now this is an unbelievable exchange that man is willing to make. And we would think, well, you know, the end of that, the way verse 23 ends. Well, we don't so much see anymore people worshiping the birds and the animals and the creeping thing, do we not? Have you run into some people who man should be about the saving of the planet and the wildlife even to the expense of our own existence because, my goodness, our carbon footprint is destroying the earth? And if you talk to any true environmentalist out there, they're going to give you the gospel of environmentalism where they're telling you you should really consider in the future having no children. This is somewhat antithetical to what God tells us to be fruitful and multiply. That children are a joy and a blessing. And to be able to recognize what it is that God calls us to. And we might not see these statues of birds and all these totem poles and things so much anymore. But understand the images that we have replaced these things with. It's almost comical if it wasn't so tragic how man seeks to explain his existence and all of creation apart from God. And what essentially happens if he tries to give any type of credence to God, he doesn't look at God as the omnipotent, omniscient creator. He looks at him as little more than some kind of evolved human. And it reminds me as a kid, right? You're about to get some of my nerddom here. San Diego Comic-Con's going on right now, so all the new stuff, right? For Marvel and DC, all the superhero movies and things are being announced. But I remember as a kid growing up, I watched Thundercats, right? Right? My mom was faithful to keep me into seeing things like Star Trek, and, and Thundercats Lion-O had to go and rescue something, I don't know, but he had to fight a god, right? So how do they use that word god when we look at entertainment? Well, Lion-O beats the god easily, and the god has to tell him, yeah, I used to be really big, and I was all that, but I don't have anybody to worship me anymore, so I'm not very powerful, and in Star Trek, Captain Kirk actually comes to a planet where all the Greek gods had moved because nobody on, worship, on Earth was worshiping them anymore. And so they face Apollo, right? And Apollo attempts to keep them there and tell them, you're going to worship me. And they say, no, we're not. And they win, right? That's the end of the episode. And so Apollo's sad, but you know, says, all right, the, the age of the gods is over. And then he takes off. And even recently, right, the the recent Thor movie, you see their portrayal of what is a God, right? And a God is someone who, again, their power is dependent on the people. Listen, God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. God is who he is in and of himself. It is not dependent on anything that man does. And it, it, it cracks me up in one sense, but there's another part of me that is sad because this is what people actually believe of the one true God. How do you come up with that? How do you find yourself there and think of God in these terms? It is a willful ignorance, as we see in verses 18 through 23. And man does not want to give God the glory that he is due. Again, this does not reduce the actual glory of God. It does not impact nature or essence of who he is. Do you know what it does? It provokes the Lord to anger. And it winds up cementing further a heart of rebellion in man. It is man who loses in this exchange described in these verses. When man is willing to exchange, trade out, here's the glory of God. Here's everything you can understand about who he is. Nope, I'm going to throw that aside. I'm going to go take this over here because I think I have a better idea about reality, and the explanation of who we are, and That's what I'm going to follow after. R.C. Sproul explains it this way. He says, idolatry is our most basic sin, and in it, an exchange is made. God reveals his truth about himself, and we trade in that truth and walk out with the lie. We exchange the glory of God for the glory of the creature this can be done in a crass way of worshiping something that we craft with our own hands, such as a statue or an icon. But there is also a more sophisticated, intellectual sort of idolatry. The reconstruction of our, do- of our doctrine of God in such a way as to strip him of those attributes with which we are uncomfortable. All of us have a propensity to reconstruct a God who is not holy, who is not wrathful, who is not just, who is not sovereign. We find it easy to take the attributes of God like we, we like and reject the ones we don't. When we do that, we are as guilty of idolatry as a person who is worshiping a graven image. And so here we are, right, in 2022, and we have so much technology and we're oh so sophisticated. Yet how easy is it for man? How is it easy is it for us as Christians? to give way more of our time and attention to the created rather than the creator. How much time do we find ourselves spending on our devices, right? And All these rectangular screens that are literally with us all day long and all of the different things that vie for our attention. And man, we just did not seem to find time to get into the word today. Oh man, I, I never even prayed today. There is no specific for it. You don't have to come down to a church building to pray. You can pray wherever you are, but think about how easy it is to not pray. These are the kind of things that we need to recognize. Idolatry continues to be our most basic sin, and at the end of the day, we will wind up worshiping ourselves. We will worship man without even realizing it, because we are not going to give God the glory and the worship that he is due. And I heard it said this way, we must recognize that an idol is an idol, whether it is metal or mental. If you esteem something or give something more attention than you do God, it's an idol. It is an idol in your life and you better be able to deal with that. And you better be willing to work that out of its importance and make sure God gets the preeminence he is due. The latter verses in Romans 1 speak to what the societal results are when man chooses chooses to be defrauded or duped, if you will, about the glory that is due only to God and attribute it to creation or to himself. And so if you look at the description, we're going to go through these verses quickly. We could do, we could do multiple sermons throughout Romans 1. But verses 26 through 32, see if they sound familiar to you in the world we live in right now. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give their approval to those who practice them. We live in an age now where people can't even figure out how to define what a woman is. This is ridiculous. We are literally watching people invent ways of doing evil. And this is being perpetuated now on children because adults can't figure out exactly how God has ordered creation. It's not real hard, right? But man, in his sophisticatedness, he believes himself to be so wise and he looks like a fool. And this is the reality of what we see going on because man, and especially what we're seeing unfold right now, is the exchange of the truth and the glory of God for anything else no we don't see the totem poles and anything else being lifted up but i can tell you we have no shortage of idols in our country in our world today i don't even know that it needs to be said but this is a bad deal (laughs) this is a very bad exchange for someone to enter into but it's what man chases after and is even proud of himself for i want to focus what can we do so that others don't fall for it and that's where we're going to come to point number two Right, The declaring of God's glory to man and really from man. And so if we rewind back over to verse 20, what we're going to see is that all of creation declares God's glory. Back in verse 20, we saw Paul write for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has shown man, right? He has indwelt us with two primary questions. If you've ever thought about this, there are two things man can typically not escape. The first is, where did I come from? Not just me, right? Of course, we've all had that conversation. But we take a look at where did man come from? Where did the very first, where all of, where did I and everything, where did it all come from? What's the origin of it all? God, man doesn't like that. Nope, got to figure out a way that this happened apart from God. Okay? God's showing you this is unbelievably complex, the amount of study and things that man does. But the second question, why am I here? What is my purpose? And there's something tragic that's happening in the world today, and in man's effort to decide, he is going to explain his existence, where he came from, apart from God, it is resulting in nihilism. And we have now a country that's all up in arms trying to say, it's the guns! Take the guns away, because we have all these different things going on. Yet, how is it we've had guns in our country forever, and it's only in these later decades that we're starting to see there be a problem? Well, it turns out, the more you get into existentialism and nihilism, you know what people suddenly begin to believe? There's no point. There's no point to anything. I'm going to tell you, it drives people crazy when they have no purpose. And with no purpose, and man just invents his own My friends, believe it or not, whether people out there want to believe it or not, we have a fallen nature. I have to contend against my sin nature every day to not do stupid or mean things because that is still present with me. And so if there is nothing guarding that, if you remember way back up in verse 28 when we just went through those uh, last verses, it says that since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God is actually protecting us for the longest time and holding what theologians call a veil, kind of restraining the force of evil that exists in this world. And there are people who just keep chasing and keep chasing and keep chasing after it to the degree that God says, that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. You see that in Pharaoh back in Moses' day. It starts off, Pharaoh hardens his heart against Moses and against the decree of God to let the Israelites go. And over time, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Came a point where he was not able to even turn or see God. And so when we look at this, we have to understand, man, if you are not going to recognize who God is, you run a risk of a purposeless life. And I think there's a number of incidents we're reading in the news over and over again, where this is what you're seeing as the result. People who really believe it doesn't matter. There's no point. And we read about tragedy over and over again. Well, what we see in another passage of scripture, not just Romans 1 20, but all of God's creation screams of his glory. And so when we go back into the Psalms, David wrote in Psalm 19, looking at like four quick verses there, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And so when we take a look at this particular set of verses, here we have David able to recognize the truth that Paul was proclaiming over a thousand years before him. In our present day, we now have, if you keep up with some of this stuff, the James Webb Space Telescope, right? The JWST. That's like the Hubble Telescope on steroids. So that thing is out there taking unbelievable pictures of deep parts of our universe, right? And so this telescope has recently sent back some pretty spectacular pictures on the universe. And I just have to tell you, I cannot fathom in my mind how man continues to have a level of hubris that denies the creator in looking at these. So if you take a look at some of these, this is what's called the SMACS 0723. That's the Southern Massive Cluster uh, system. And so when we take a look at this, Those are not just stars, right? Every single thing you see here, these are galaxies. And so if you remember, right, we've got our own little solar system. And within our solar system is the Milky Way galaxy, which is like millions of stars. It's just crazy how much stuff is in it. Everything you see here is another galaxy, is another galaxy, is another galaxy. That is crazy. This is a sliver, like one... Like, this is the telescope doing this, and there's the entirety of everywhere that they can point it, right? So this is a sliver of what we see out here. God created that by speaking. We go back to Genesis 1. How did this come to be? Well, as Christians, we don't look for some naturalistic explanation of where everything came from. We understand this was created by God. Okay, what did God do in his little chemistry lab, in his mixing lab? He spoke. He spoke. He's spoken through these things into existence. What's the next one? Okay, this is called Stefan's Quintet. In Stefan's Quintet, if you can see them, right, there's actually one, two, three, four, five different nebulas. And this one over here is actually a little bit distant, but when you know about these guys right here, this, these two are kind of colliding. And circulating, orbiting around each other. And all of this red in here is a result of galaxies actually colliding. And it's insane to think about how these are all intertwined and related. What's the next one? Okay, this is the Southern Nebula. And so when we take a look at this, this is actually noticing um, a star If you notice, this kind of white dwarf in the middle there. But they're actually able, with this new telescope and the pictures it takes, to see the cosmic dust clouds that are exploding. And they are getting with finer and finer detail what things look like in the life cycle of a star. It's absolutely stunning. And then the last one, this one's amazing to me. Just the colors and everything they were able to pick up with the infrared technology that they do have now. But this is Karina's Nebula. And Karina's Nebula, they're calling it a nursery of stars. It's like all these baby stars. And so man's able to see all of this stuff. And he's able to see the vast expanse and something that screams about the power of God in his creation. And he goes, wow, that was, that was amazing that the Big Bang did that. This is the conclusion he winds up with. And you ask people, right? I remember seeing interviews uh, being done with some of the most respected atheists out there and they're simply asked, okay, so where did, where did that come from? Where did all the matter and energy for the Big Bang come from? We don't know. It, it was just always there. Right? And here's the funny part. If you've ever had a conversation with an atheist friend and tried to go through things, you may have had this accusation levied at you. "Ah, oh, you believe all yourself. It's, it's just by faith. I believe in science. Ask that simple question. Where did it all come from? Well, the Big Bang. No, 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 no. All the matter and energy for the Big Bang. Where'd that come from? It's just always been there. Well, that defies logic. Everything we see in natural order, if you're a naturalist, has a beginning and an end. How did it begin? It was just always there. If you're saying it was always there, that means it is self-existent. That is a supernatural quality. You've just failed your own test. There is one that I can tell you about who is supernatural by his very essence You're not going to like it, though. It's God. And it makes sense that we call him supernatural. He's beyond the natural, so he can be self-existent. But if you want to tell me you're naturalistic and then tell me matter and energy have been around forever, you've played yourself. The angels sing the glory of God. I told you earlier I was just like blown away when I heard our final worship song this morning because I also don't coordinate with our worship team. But when we take a look at Isaiah uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 3, we see Isaiah share the vision he was given. Again, of what R.C. Sproul describes as the seraphim song. And we read these uh, quick verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Sproul says about this, I love to hear him speak about this. He says, we see this heavenly choir in antiphonal response. And I can't express the way he did, but he talks about how it's like one seraph over here is um, singing back to this seraph over there, and back and forth they're singing, holy, holy, holy. It is an amazing thing that I hope you can get some kind of picture of in your head, because it'll give you goosebumps just to think about the angels singing and proclaiming the glory of God, Sproul says that's their song because they're in the presence of God. That's what they have to sing, right? This is what we have to look forward to. Sproul points out that this threefold repetition was a powerful tool of emphasis for the Jews, right? This is really carried on even to today, right? Any of you who have seen like Matthew McConaughey movies, right? You know that you've heard, all right, all right, all right. And we have this thing of repetition. We say it over and over again. My kids benefit from repetition, right? It seems I say it about three times, right? My son, Titus, he's my son. He gets caught up with video games pretty easily, right? Titus, need you to do the cat's water. No response. Titus, what is going on? Titus, third Titus, he normally comes out, right? Takes care of whatever it is we need him to do. So that repetition, right, the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. We see this correlation between Romans one twenty, between Psalm 19, Isaiah 6, right? We've got all of creation screaming the glory of God. Two-thirds of the angels, right, are declaring the glory of God. What about man? And specifically, even more, what about us? John MacArthur in his book, The Gospel According to Paul, gives the following commentary on Romans 121. He says, Out of all creation, only the two highest of God's creatures ever rebelled against him. A third of the angelic host and all of humanity sinned. They tried to refuse the singular purpose for which they were made. Their rebellion will ultimately only amplify the glory of God because he will glorify himself in the defeat of evil and the triumph of divine justice. Even the wrath of men will praise him. Meanwhile, glorifying God is the ultimate goal of every duty God has ever given us. It remains the supreme purpose for which he created and then redeemed us. So the fundamental issue and the basic consideration that should govern everything we do is summed up in this simple question. Will it glorify God? Will this glorify God? That is what we are made for. That is what we have been redeemed for to continue to demonstrate the glory of the Creator. God calls for us to know who He is and to rest And his glory because he has taken care of it. In Isaiah 43, God declares his love for Israel. And by extension, we see to the church as true Israel. And he writes this. Isaiah says, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I hope that you are able to understand what type of ownership God takes of his people. What kind of love, what kind of just fellowship it is that we get to have with God. But when we come to Romans 1.25, right, it reminds us that this is a choice that man has to make. And when we go into this, we have to understand if man chooses to ignore it, if man chooses that he is not going to, Disseminate the glory of God, right? The third thing I wanted you to have in the backdrop of your mind once we see the glory of God declared, what are we going to do? Are we going to disseminate God's glory? Are we going to show other people the love of God? Are we going to demonstrate to them how much God is worthy of glory and show them the gospel in our lives and glorify Him in that way? Because listen, in the end, it's going to wind up being one or the other. Essentially, Man is either going to deny God and fail to worship Him, or he's going to respond, submit his heart to Jesus Christ, and in the end, join with the seraphim, even as we did this morning, in being able to sing, holy, holy, holy. We get to have some measure of influence and some measure of play in how God is accomplishing that. But it's going to be one or the other. Romans 1:25 reminds us of the choice that man must make and we see again they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen which side first and foremost are you on have you recognized who God is do you offer to God with your life the glory that he's due or If you're honest, would you say you just kind of live your life however you want, and God really doesn't get too much of the preeminence that he calls for in Scripture? Tying all this together, I came across a really cool clip. Um, One of my favorite preachers is John Pipe. So I want you guys to be able to hear and see this. This is a video, I think, tying all of these things together. See what you think.
1: The glory of God is the manifest beauty of His Holiness. It's the going public of His Holiness. It's it's the way He puts His Holiness on display for, for people to apprehend. The heavens are telling the glory of God. What does that mean? It means He's shouting at us. He shouts with clouds. He shouts with blue expanse. He shouts with gold on the horizons. He shouts with galaxies and stars. He's shouting, I am glorious. Open your eyes. Do you see it? Do you love it? You were made for this. I'm made for this. This is why I exist to see that. Everything is pointing to that. All the glory that I thought was so attractive is going there. This is all husks and ashes. Now we see through a glass, darkly, then, face to face I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So the glory that's coming is of such an all-satisfying, infinitely beautiful, totally need meeting and joy-producing kind. 80 years of pain will be as nothing. This light, momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of what? Glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. God is aiming that we see and savor and treasure His glory, the riches of His glory. So I ask, do you see it? Do you love it? And I'll say again, you were made for this.
0: He's so good. It's just such a powerful way of tying so many doctrinal truths together of what we know about God and who he is. Mercy Me in their song, All of Creation, I think, penned it so perfectly uh, getting to their course in that song. They say, and all of creation, sing with me now. Lift up your voice. Lay your burden down. And all of creation, sing with me now. Fill up the heavens. Let his glory resound. I told you before, one of the things that I think is the real Influencer to the maladies that we see going on in society today is because people have no hope. They have no purpose. They are trying to explain their purpose and existence apart from their creator. But for those of us who know him. I'm going to tell you (laughs) probably come through about the hardest year, right, at least of my married life. And knowing that everything is for the glory of God and the sovereignty of God is still at the center of it all and keeping us together is all I need. Is all I need. Because if I get in my own headspace too long, I can decide why. Well, why am I even going to make another effort? Why am I going to take another step forward? But when I remember, my purpose is to glorify God. My purpose is to continue to work out what he has called me to. I don't need to question or worry about anything else. The glory of God is amazing. Will you join with creation and sing of God's glory and declare it to the world around you? It's what we were made for. Frank's brother Mark made the core verse of our youth group, the Rock Youth Group, back in the day, 1 Corinthians 10.31. And so pretty much all the youth in that day memorized it. It says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all To the glory of God. So may that be true of us. Soli Deo Glory. Let's pray. God we come before you this morning. We give you thanks. For the amazing truths of your word. We give you thanks. That you are glorious. Lord we thank you that in. Demonstrating your glory. We are able to see. And understand. That you have everything. In your control. Lord we just pray that in the giving of your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that I was clear. I pray that everything has been able to bless all those here. And Lord, I pray as we come before you and we seek to worship and sing in this final song of praise, I pray you'll be pleased. Lord, I pray that when we leave this place, we will allow all of our decisions to be governed by assessing, are we glorifying you? Lord, please continue to watch over. Bless your people this morning and as we go out into the world this week. It's your name we pray.